Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue-collar work ethic and where I find real value. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a few weeks. Uh, That is the result of me running out of banked episodes and contracting COVID. Finally, after two and a half years, I finally got it and uh, then had a little rebound episode, but everything's better and everything's good now. This week I'm excited because I got to go uh, about an hour west to where I live here in Little Rock. I met Myron Means, who is the large carnivore biologist for the state of Arkansas, working for the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. You know, that that does include black bears and mountain lions, but the mountain lion part is uh, it's pretty tiny. Uh, Arkansas does now uh, have you know scientific proof that we do occasionally have mountain lions coming through the state. As I understand it, it's mostly a uh, kind of like a male on the prowl kind of deal. They don't think we have breeding females or a, a reproducing population in the state. But once that became clear, Myron's title went from bear biologist to large carnivore biologist. But he has spent the better part of three decades working almost uh, exclusively with black bears uh, in the state of Arkansas. So, uh, man, bears are something that just really fascinate me. They're mysterious. They're cool. They're, you know, they're a little bit scary, but uh, they're just kind of like a mysterious, magical creature. And we talk a little bit about what is so attractive about black bears, what lends folks towards having an emotional reaction towards, uh, folks that are pursuing black bears, you know, as a, as opposed to deer or squirrels or ducks or something else. Uh, and we talk about the black bear season that's coming up here in Arkansas, just stuff about their biology. It's, it's just kind of like a big black bear nerd out. And uh, I hope you guys are into it. So please enjoy this conversation with Myron Means, the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, ironically or serendipitously, the last podcast I was in Russellville with uh, Drew Wilson, drooler on Instagram, and I am back in Russellville uh, today meeting with Myron Means here at the uh, Arkansas Game and Fish Commission regional office in Russellville. Uh, Myron is the large carnivore biologist for the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. And we're going to go into depth talking about uh, all that entails. But, uh, Myron, thanks very much for being on the podcast, man. Man, I'm glad to be here. appreciate you coming to Russellville and, and making it a halfway trip for us. But, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so you're, you work out of the Fort Smith office. I do work out of Fort Smith, but, I mean, really, you know, have statewide responsibilities. So I'll kind of go all over the state, depending on what season it is. <laughs> sure. Uh and, you know, we're coming up on bear season. 
So let's actually, before we get into all that, let's, uh, let's explain, and I'm sure you've had to do this a million times, but we'll make it a million and one. Let's explain what the large carnivore biologist is. It's a title that's changed recently. Uh, and I guess before that it was, you were known as like the bear biologist. Yes. Uh, yes. and now the, the scope of this job has, has broadened because of, uh, well, you, you explain to it, because we're really talking about uh, black bears and mountain lions. That's essentially what the what the program involves. I mean, uh, I took over the bear program coordinator position in 2008, and it rocked along there for a few years. It was just the bear program. And then, uh, you know, mountain lions started showing up from time to time in the state. And we really hadn't had any type of platform to monitor sightings or anything else like that. And because mountain lions are a large carnivore, you know, the most likely person to hand over those responsibilities was me. And uh, so they gave the monitoring of the mountain lion program uh, to me. And at that point, it was no longer just the bear program. So, uh I asked him, I said, well, at least, uh, you know, it didn't come with a raise. So <laughs> I said, well, at least let me pick my own program name. So I named it the Large Carnivore Program. And even though technically bears are omnivores, it you know, it sounds better than the Large Omnivore Program. So, <laughs> so that's how it came to be. And, you know, but by and large, still to this day, I mean, 98% of what I do on a, you know, a daily basis or an annual basis, uh, it, it's dealing with bears. Okay. And uh, so, some of this stuff is actually, some of the folks that are listening to this podcast that are, you know, well-versed in kind of Arkansas hunting, some of this stuff might seem uh, like obvious answers, but I think to a lot of people, they, they wouldn't even know. So Arkansas, we have black bears here, right? That's correct. There's no brown bear or grizzlies or sun bears or anything like that. No, there's no uh, grizzly bears uh, in Arkansas. Now, we do have different color faces of black bears in Arkansas Which naturally. probably a lot of people don't even realize that. Right, they don't. And I've had a people uh, call me and say, man, I saw a brown bear in my yard. Well... Technically, you saw a brown color phase black bear, you know, so uh, they uh, black bears can have, you know, v multiple color phases from a light cinnamon to actually a blonde even and all the phases all the way up to just black. And uh, actually about 25 percent of the bears that we have in the state have some sort of color phase variation other than just black whether that be a cinnamon or a brown or a chocolate or just a big unique chest blaze, uh, some type of color variation other than just a black black bear. Uh, and then there's places there, there's places out west where there's like a higher preponderance of yes. color phase bears, right? Absolutely. You know some of the some of the northwestern states, uh, you know they they may have as much as thirty or forty percent color phase you know and a, a lot of areas in the u.s you know people will go hunt specifically to get a color phase bear mm -hmm. because their their color phases are so prevalent in that particular area uh did you happen to see that that blonde phase uh bear that uh that clay newcomb's boy bear killed this year 
I haven't seen that. Dude, it's cool, man. He, they killed it out west in Montana. Oh, yes, I did see Had that. Had that big, because, giant yes, white diamond yes. on him. Yeah, 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 yeah. He did send me that picture. I just now remembered it. Uh, but, yeah, that was super light. I mean, that was that's about as blonde or light cinnamon as you can get. Yeah. And then that huge white yeah. patch. It's good, man. It's. I'll be honest with you. Everybody, you know, it's kind of popular to talk about how you're always happy for everybody with all their hunting achievements. And that's just not true. Like I have envy in my heart, like everybody else, but like, that's a, a, actually none of that on that one. Like that seemed like the right bear for a kid named bear to get. Uh, and that kid's a truly like, unique. Bear. Dude, that kid's a beast too. Like, I mean, just as a young outdoorsman, man, that kid's a, beast he's, he's a young clay dude oh i honestly i would i think he's i think he's better uh i think he's just so naturally inclined towards it he's just like really naturally tough uh unassumingly so but it's just like a tough kid and uh i don't know man just believes in himself i mean i've seen him catching like copperheads and i mean doing crazy stuff man you know he's just like a little kid my favorite story about that that kid is a couple a couple years ago, he had like uh, he'd been bow hunting pretty hard, and he had gotten he'd filled both of his buck tags, and so he ended up he ended up getting a uh, a fox with his bow, and maybe he's like fourteen or something, and he you know pelted it out, kept the hide, and then he cooked that thing on a grill, and him and his buddy ate it with a with like a barbecue sauce. Oh yeah. Yeah, just like a 14-year-old kid was like, man, I killed this thing. I want to eat it. <laughs> I just love it, dude. <laughs> I mean, I just love that he had that in him. And that wasn't anybody making him do it. You know, that was just like who he is. But anyway, so I, you know, there, there was a, I got pretty fascinated with black bears some years ago. And. I think it was, I think it's kind of like, you know, some of the mystique about them uh, until you really start getting around them. And, and it's not like I've been around a bunch of them, but you just start spending time and looking at them. I think in your mind, they're kind of part monster or something, right? You got, you got this association <laughs> with childhood stories. Uh, you know, they have teeth, they have claws. We, uh, we think of them as being very you know, physically able-bodied, like strong, right? Which, I mean, all these things are true, but something I've been struck by, especially here in Arkansas, I mean, there's places where black bears get bigger, but I mean, the average size of a black bear in this state, I mean, what would you say? I mean, less than 200 pounds, right? Uh, an average size female is going to be about 175 or 80 pounds. I would say an average size middle-aged adult male is going to be probably 275 to 350 okay but you know i mean uh every year you know we have bears that are harvested 400 plus pounds getting closer to 500 you know and i've heard of bears over 500 being harvested in the state and i've seen pictures of i've seen pictures people send me pictures every year game camera pictures and there's no doubt there's a lot of 400 plus bears out there four to five hundred pound bears i saw a couple on my lease uh, two years ago that i have no doubt they were 400 plus you know 
Okay, so there are some kind of some whoppers out there. Yes. But uh, still nothing approaching what I think a lot of people think of when they think of a bear. Because oh, no. most people think of like a thousand pound grizzly yeah. bear, right? Yeah. Uh, but still like, I mean, the most formidable thing in the woods in Arkansas, would you say? Well, probably, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no doubt bears invoke fear in people, even even for the most seasoned hunter or the most seasoned outdoorsman. You know, they they have a certain amount of, I guess, uh, fear or a healthy respect that comes from whether you hunt them, whether you encounter them walking down a trail or something like that. You know, a lot of times our nuisance complaints they they certainly uh, invoke fear when they become in a nuisance situation to show up on someone's back porch, you know, tearing down bird feeders or something like that. And they tell us it's a, you know, a three or 400 pound bear and it's weighs about 110 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, things that invoke fear, you always tend to kind of sensationalize them or make them bigger than they actually are. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Bears have that effect on a lot of people. Uh, but you know, really it's a, it's a, kind of an incredibly rare thing to encounter one it is uh and arkansas has got what would be considered a pretty healthy population pretty healthy population i mean across the ozarks and across the washita's and now even in the gulf coastal plain part of the state you know i mean we have a healthy bear population in the state probably five to six thousand bears and uh you know it's interesting that you mentioned that about how hard they are to see uh just out in the wild but i had a I had a person email me uh two days ago and he was just desperately he's lived in arkansas all of his life and he was desperately wanting to know where he could go to see a bear yeah because he has never seen one so <laughs> but you know i mean as much time as i spend in the woods uh trapping and doing research work and everything else like that you know, it is a rarity. It is a rarity to come across a bear. I mean, they're they're purposely kind of trying to stay out of the public eye. Uh, Arkansas also is, and I don't think that I fully understood this until really recently. I started traveling out west a lot and just lots of windshield time. It's like Arkansas is a very, you know, it's a thick state. There's lots and lots of trees. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in the woods – you know, most woods in Arkansas, 50 yards is probably if – you, if you could see 50 yards in a straight line, you'd be doing pretty good as far as visibility in there. Yeah. Uh, there's tons of habitat. And I've been even more struck. Like when I got to go on that uh, – I guess it was in March or so. I got to go on that black bear den study with you. Seeing where that bear had made her den, I mean, there was, a, there was like a blowover. So like a big tree had fallen down. And she had just, she had used the back of that root ball kind of as, uh, as like part of the shelter. And she just kind of wallowed out a spot right there on the ground. Mm-hmm. And you could have been five feet away from her walking through those woods. And if you didn't know to look right there, you'd never know she was there. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, and she had a baby with her. And she, or she could have had two, you know. So there could have been three bears just right next to you. And you would never know. Uh, they're super quiet when they're walking around too. I mean, unless they're oh, in yeah. some cornflakes, mm-hmm. they've got those, those padded, uh, feet. Um, and the hair kind of wraps around the pads, you yeah. know? So that's another damp dampening 
I guess, feature of their feet is not only they have a, uh, other than their pad, they have fur on their bottom of their feet, but their hair wraps over their foot. Mm-hmm. So it has a tendency to kind of restrict all the noise going on under their foot. So, yeah, they're they're incredibly quiet. And, of course, if you're a bear hunter or you spend a lot of time bear hunting, you'll, you'll also know that bears have a tendency to walk the same footsteps on a trail. And so, you know, they've already padded out, you know, their their walking spots going to a bait site or going to a feeding site or something like that. You know, that's okay. So we should probably explain that for folks too. Uh, so in Arkansas and, and we'll explain this too in, in the bigger management strategy, right? So, uh, and you were just saying that like a, uh, before we started recording that, uh, like a wildlife agency. So here it's game and fish, it's different titles in different States, but you know, they're managing for, the uh, preservation and the well-being of the animals uh, that they're that they uh, have management kind of dominion over, right? So they're monitoring their populations and what's a healthy population and their breeding and all that stuff. But they're also kind of co-managing for uh, folks to consumptively interact with them, right? So that means like hunting and fishing, absolutely. Uh, and something that I wasn't really aware of until honestly, probably a few years ago when I really started, when I really decided I wanted to try and hunt a black bear was I, I just, I had this, I had this thing in my head about baiting bears and, uh, like, you know, just get really kind of an emotional thing. Like it just didn't feel right to me. Whatever, whatever folks think about baiting, it's sloppy, it's lazy. It's taking the sport out of it. If you're inclined to use that terminology, uh, and then I had it really had it explained to me that as far as managing this population of animals, mm-hmm. you know, like if you don't want bears showing up in like grade school dumpsters and uh, being on people's back porches and getting into their cars and all that, like, you know, this is not, we are not 150 years ago. We have people everywhere. There's a limit. Like, you know, the black bear population can never be what it once was because there's people everywhere, right? That's right. This is like a, this is a teeter-totter balancing act. It is. Uh, but maybe explain to folks why, specifically with bears in Arkansas, why baiting is legal and why it's a useful management strategy. Well, you know, we started uh, modern-day bear hunting in 1980 after the reintroduction effort in the 50s and 60s. That's when we reopened bear season, and it rocked along for about 20 years. And, uh, of course, harvest, you know, uh, was gradually increasing over that 20-year period as the population increased. And uh, we come to find out in the late 90s that uh, our harvest rate wasn't meeting uh we weren't weren't hitting our target harvest rate for bears so the population was really growing a lot faster than what we wanted it to and so you know i mean you can't it's kind of hard to make uh bear hunting it was a big game season so up until 2001 you know, anytime bear season or deer season was open, we'd have a bear season. So it ran concurrent with the other big game season in the state. Okay. And our harvest just wasn't being, wasn't getting where it needed to be every year. And so 
we decided that we had to do something. We had to implement some type of management strategy that allowed us to harvest more bears. And we had a choice. We could have done a spring season or we could have done any other things. We could have bumped a season, a bear season up earlier, you know, for modern gun or something like that. And there are pros and cons to each one of those issues. And the most palatable issue at the time was just to allow baiting on private land. Uh, we don't have a robust bear population uh, enough to allow baiting on public land, you know, like they do in some of the northern states. And that was really kind of an issue that we didn't want to tackle with the Forest Service and public land. Uh, so... We thought, okay, so if we allow it on private land, that will definitely allow us to increase our harvest rate. But at the same time, we need to have some checks and balances. So at the time that we implemented baiting on private land, we also implemented zone quotas to be kind of a stopgap. And uh, so... That's what we did in 2001. We implemented baiting on private land as a management strategy so we could harvest more bears. And that that strategy has it's really been a godsend to the bear population of the state, and I'm sure the people of the state. Because as you mentioned earlier, you know, there is a ecological carrying capacity for animals on the landscape. And even though Arkansas could viably sustain a whole lot more than 6,000 bears, there's another term, sociological carrying capacity, which is where we're probably at right now in the state as far as, you know, bear-human interface conflicts and things of that nature. Uh, you know, it would just kind of be getting out of control if we had ten or 12,000 bears in the state. The habitat could probably support it, but the public wouldn't support it. And because we are a state agency, you know, we're beholding to the public. Uh, we're managing resources for the benefit of the public. Uh, but we also, uh, you know, have to be stewards of the population and not be, not just willy-nilly have an overabundance of bears wreaking havoc on people's back you know, and their bird feeders and showing up on their back porches, eating dog food and everything like that. So we're, we're probably more managing for the sociological caring capacity of the state uh, than we are for the ecological caring capacity of the state. Because bears are, you know, bears are just one of those, they're one of those critters that people love to have them. They love to know they're out there, but they're not the biggest fans of them when they start showing up on their back porch eating dog food. Sure. You know, so, I mean, with bears, it's a lot more so with deer that, that you have to kind of manage toward public opinion or public favorability to maintain uh, a good standing for the program. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think most reasonable people can wrap their heads around that and get that uh, – and there's going to be folks that it's just like completely unpalatable or untenable. That sure. People are, you know, are hunting. And it seems too like it's a predator thing too. Like folks are all right with animals that kind of exist as a prey species yeah. being hunted by humans. But yeah. then when you get to something that itself is, uh, is existing as a predator, uh, which was like with a black bear too. And 
I can, I'm just going to give you general numbers because I don't know. But, I mean, isn't most of the the animal matter that a black bear consumes is coming from insects, right? Well, actually, about 80%, 80 85% of their diet is plant matter. Okay. Okay, the 15% or so that isn't plant matter, about 90% of that is insects. Yeah, so, I mean, they're not – no. a black bear is not running down – deer most no, of the time and no they're much too lazy for that <laughs> I mean, you know black bears are they are uh they optimize they are energy masters and they've evolved to being energy masters over their you know their den cycles in the winter that's all about conserving energy it has nothing to do with how cold it is or anything else like that it's all about mastering energy. Uh, and, you know, they can get more calories bellying up to a blackberry patch and foraging for 12 or 14 hours in a blackberry patch than they would spending half a day running around trying to chase a deer down. Mm-hmm. And they've just evolved into being energy masters. And by doing so, they have figured out how to optimize food intake while with as little effort as possible. And, uh, yeah, if you if you watch black bears forage very long at all, especially at a bait site or anything like, like that, they don't walk around and pick up here and there and pick up little kernels of corn. They just walk up there and belly up to it and lay down and just kind of rake it in their mouth. They're actually pretty lazy foragers. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, and they just, uh, they don't, they, sure, they'll, uh, you know, they'll they'll fawn, search for fawns during the fawning season when, uh, when deer drop fawns. But, I mean, so will every other predator on the landscape, mm-hmm. the coyotes, the bears, uh, the bobcats and things like that. But, you know, they're they're not actively out there trying to run down prey. Their prey is, uh, you know, a blackberry patch or a cherry tree or a white oak tree or something like that. Yeah, black gums. Yeah. Uh, and, th- you know, that totally makes sense. And, you know, what we think about is hibernation isn't actually true hibernation, right? It's a They're going into a state of torpor. That's right. Uh, and so we can explain that for folks. Is just like basically they slow themselves way, 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 way down. Mm-hmm. You can wake one up. Oh, you know, yeah. if you go in there, I mean, if you've done this, you can go in there in a den <laughs> when they're, you know, they're sleeping, quote unquote, and you can rile them up and you can wake them up and they'll wake up on their own occasionally and come out. And Yeah, they're usually not sleeping by the time we get there. They hear us coming. They mm-hmm. wake up. They know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and especially like for like the mama bears, when they've got cubs in there, I mean, those cubs are... I mean, they're nursing. and Oh, yeah, squalling, nursing. Yeah, the whole time. Yeah, the whole time. And so, yeah, I mean, they they really limit their body processes. Uh, The only thing they don't really do is drop their body temperature. Uh, But they will limit their body processes uh, a lot, very significantly, their heart rate, everything else like that. Certainly their digestive system basically comes to a halt. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, they're able to recycle their urea into nitrogen to feed amino acids for the muscles and everything. And so, uh, but as you say, they can arouse instantly. That's the difference between a true hibernator and a estivator. But uh, they, uh, you know, they evolved into this lifestyle 
over over eons and because they are such a big animal and do require so much food uh you know they figured out eons ago that it's a lot easier to get really fat and live off your fat reserves uh for the months when there's no food out there and that's basically what the uh, whole denning process is about on bears is energy consumption so this this podcast you know episode i guess is and we we talked about it a bit before we started like you know what are we going to talk about so I'm so interested in black bears <laughs> that I can sit here and I can talk about, you know, I can talk about what they're eating, why they're eating it. You know, like selfishly, I have lots of questions about what I should or shouldn't be doing, uh, you know, for my own hunting activities. But I'd actually like, so I'd like to relate what attracted me to it. Because, it, I mean, it is a big leap to go from... I'd say most people, most people that consider themselves hunters, you know, they hunt, you know, if they're hunting deer, they're probably hunting a couple, two, three weekends a year, right? Uh, probably rifle hunting, uh, you know, in Arkansas, not nearly the prevalence of like, quote unquote, adventure hunting, right? Like someone's going up to the top of Kilimanjaro or something, <laughs> right? Uh There is a difference between that and like bear hunting, right? Like in uh, bear hunting in Arkansas. So this year it's going to start mid September, right? September 17th. September 17th, uh, which is like a week earlier than normal. Yes. Uh, that gets us out in front of bow season for deer. I mean, if you're out there, you're out there pursuing bears. So we've already, we've already kind of spoken to the fact that uh, it's hard to find them. It takes a lot to find them and to get on them there. Even if you do come across bears, you're not going to see 30 bears a day, you know, most likely not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, something's going on. If you are, yeah. uh, I mean, you know, I've gone season and season and season and never see one, you yeah. know? Uh, and then, you know, I've gone season after season and not see one. And that's what I'm there for. Like, that's what I'm spending my time <laughs> trying to find. Uh, so it's not something where you're going to you're going to get that kind of immediate gratification of seeing lots of them. Uh, and now it does get easier to recognize bear sign. Yeah. But like even that first season I spent I feel like I spent most of the first season trying to distinguish, you know, did this was this uh this rotting log ripped apart by a bear or did this thing just fall over, yeah. right? Uh you know, you're looking for scat, right? Mm -hmm. Like the fresher the scat, uh, the better. You're trying to figure out what they're eating. Uh, you know, you're looking for dug up yellow jacket nest. So I'm explaining all of this to kind of explain to, you know, the audience that the reason I, part of, part of me wanting to go after bears, right, was that it was going to be a, like high expenditure, low reward kind of experience, right? Like it was going to be a lot more about me putting time in and learning than it was about me having that immediate gratification of encountering bears. Uh, it also like got to put me in some of the wildest stuff in Arkansas, right? Yeah. The coolest, wildest stuff. Uh, and when you're not seeing the animal that you're trying to find, you have to be rewarded by, man, I made it all the way down that 
bluff that looked a little sketchy, right? <laughs> or yeah. you start really keying in to the flora around you, you know? So you start, I mean, really start getting down on those bottoms and you're like, you know, you can smell muscadines from 50 yards away. Yeah. And so I'm going to go try and find those because if I can smell them, a bear smelled them from a quarter mile away, right? right. Uh, you're trying to tell if the, uh, the black gums if you know if the berries have gotten ripe yet if the bears are on those yet you know you're looking for all these kind of small small scale signs of what's going on trying to figure out how recent something is you know has it rained with that with that dug up yellow jacket nest look like that if it had rained already how recent is it and so it really kind of i feel like it i wasn't even capable of going after the animal as a pursuit until i got to a certain skill level just as far as hunting right uh, yeah, are you really? I mean, if you, if you do it like you did, you know, public lands, no baiting, you really kind of have to, I mean, you kind of have to immerse yourself into it mm-hmm. before, uh, like you say, before you start being able to readily recognize bear sign or you see a game trail and you think, well, that's a bear trail, not a deer trail, you know, because there's definite differences between the two. Mm-hmm. And it's uh yeah you really do I mean it it is a it is a true challenge, you know to do it and that's not to say that baiting isn't a challenge. Uh, I've, I've baited for a lot of years and believe me some years it can be a real challenge, but uh, it's it's certainly any aspect of bear hunting whether you hunt over bait whether you don't, uh, it's it's completely different than deer hunting. Yeah, I mean, it's just inherently it's low reward, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think there's some, part of what I wanted to get to on this is I think there's something else about it. So you've got, I know what was attracting me to it. So part of it is a challenge, but it's not just the challenge. It's there's something about a bear, right? Now, I think part of it is probably uh this mammalian association we have with it, right? Like it, it has eyelashes. It, it has a face that's more, can be more recognizably expressive, right? Like a fish doesn't really change what it looks like, but like, you know, a bear has like an, has an emotive face. Uh, it, I think there's gotta be some cultural stuff too. Teddy bears and just anthropomorphizing bears seem like they get a lot of that just in, uh, stories and advertisement and stuff but i i mean even if we go back to like you know uh, first peoples in this country right like there was a a lot of tribes and cultures had a deep uh resonance and association with black bears like they they saw them as something different they saw them as something closer to themselves yeah Uh, it's all i think it's partly also the reason that uh, you know you uh when you're dealing with uh people that are against kinds of hunting or methods of hunting that they really key in on like black bears. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, that's something that evokes a lot of emotion in folks that don't hunt. So I'm interested, uh, you know, as much as you're willing to divulge. So you're professionally, professionally, you, you know, have largely dedicated your life to the, the study and research surrounding these black bears. Right. But like you said, you're also like you hunt them, Mm-hmm. You, I mean, I, I, I think it'd be difficult to, to find somebody, you know, in the state of Arkansas that has probably had more contact with black bears than you have at this point <laughs> in your career, right? 
I think I think you'd be hard pressed to find it. I mean, I've worked with black bears actually. Uh, when I was in uh, undergraduate, I worked on a black bear project in the late 80s. And then when I was in graduate school, I worked on a black bear project that we had here in the state in the late 80s. And so actually, I mean, I've worked with black bears in Arkansas for 27 years. So and what what's the magic of it for you? Because 27 years ago you were doing it. You're doing it now. <laughs> uh, we talked about, you know, continuing to work. It is... Uh, Man, I'm telling you, bears just have bears have a uniqueness about them that no other game species has. And I, you know, I've tried to I've tried to relay this or convey this to people about bears. And you know, I mean, I I was talking to another coworker the other day, and I thought, you know, if I actually put a pin to it, there's no telling how many thousands of bears I've had my hands on in the last 27 years. It's wild. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's in, it's well into the thousands, well into the thousands. If you count the den work, the research work, the project work and all the other nuisance work and everything. And, uh, it's just bears. The best way I can describe it to people is, you know, a deer, a deer is a prey animal and a deer, even a pet deer, deer don't really have personalities. Uh, but I can tell you without a shred of doubt. Bears have individual personalities, and they just do. Uh, you know, when we do den work on females from, you know, year after year after year, and we have some females that are in the system for that we do for 10 or 12 years, you know, we've done den work on them every year. And you you learn the personality of these females. You learn, okay, I know I know Havana, I can, I can practically give her a hand injection i wouldn't but i know she's so docile i know i could and then you have another bear over here you know uh june or something like that uh, well june you can't even get within 15 feet of her den and she's popping her jaws at you and you know she'll bluff you or something like that so i mean bears and they keep that personality you know, it's not like it's ever changing, but bears have unique individual personalities. Same thing with the males. And but like most most of the bears you'd have your hands on would be females, just because of the way they most of them. Yeah, right? but I mean, you know, we had a lot of years there where we were doing a lot of nuisance trapping and relocating. We don't so much anymore because our policy changed. But, uh, you know, all the different research projects over the years, you're handling males and females, you know, when you have them in snares or whatever else. So, But I'd say probably 65% of the bears I've handled in the past have been females. You know what I was just thinking about is also really different for your – the way that you have interacted with bears, you know, for at this point we're talking about almost three decades – Cause I was I was trying to explain this to my dad one time when I started hunting because I didn't start hunting until I was an adult. My dad didn't at all, and uh, I was explaining to him just how fascinated I was with white-tailed deer, right? And it's like, man, it's crazy. You you're up on the side of this tree, and you just you're there forever <laughs> and ever. And then you know you've been paying attention for hours, and then you turn your head three degrees to the left and suddenly this deer is there i was like it's yeah. it's like a unicorn just ma there's like there's something <laughs> magical about it i said it's also a weird thing to be so fascinated with a creature 
but ultimately the way that you get to be close to it is by uh, killing it, right? And, I, and I'm not trying to go too deep into the ethics and morality of all that because I, I, I think that hunting, and I've said it a million times, I think hunting can and, you know, when done, you know, the way that I think it should be done or the way that, you know, the North American model works. I mean, this is a ethical, noble thing. It's a fantastic way to feed your family. It's the way me and my wife are raising our kids. But the fact that you've gotten to interact with so many of them and most of them you're putting your hands on, you're getting to look at them, you're getting to touch them, you're getting to smell them and see them and just like understand them. And they, they're not dying for that. Right. Like you're, <laughs> you're putting them back out to the world. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, that's really a very privileged position to get to be in. Cause they're so, they're so cool. I mean, it's, that's not a super descriptive word, but they're just so neat. Uh, and we talked about it a little bit. They remind me a lot of raccoons, like giant raccoons. You know, yeah. uh, <laughs> like well, they pretty much are. <laughs> I mean, kind of right. Like they're eating yeah. the same stuff. They both have that kind of butt wobble when they walk. Yeah. Uh, super dexterous hands. Uh, and I think you can kind of see some of that personality, like you're talking about. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's uh, it's. I guess it's even more resonant with like but the difference between males and females typically. You know, we catch a male in the trap and when you approach it before you even are able to determine whether it's a male or a female, you can usually tell by the way they're acting in a trap. You know, if it's a male. Males mm -hmm. are usually always more aggressive than females. You know, and I guess I don't know, it just um I mean I don't want to personify bears too much sure but i think that goes back to one thing that you were saying about why we're able to appreciate that uniqueness of bears is because they are a little bit more like people rather than just your typical prey animal or something they have individual personalities males act typically different than females you know and it's just something that we can probably relate a little bit better to yeah, it's a it's a super interesting phenomenon. Uh, you know something else I just thought of too, which I think is it's I think it's really incredibly interesting, and it's also kind of like a point of pride. I realize, uh, and maybe folks have heard about this before, but and you referenced it just a little bit, but like the reintroduction of black bears into the state of Arkansas. So Arkansas, you know, at one point was known as like the bear state or the black bear yeah. state, right? Uh, it was a place that people came to to pursue bears. Bears. So, uh, I mean, we're talking about like Daniel Boone came here to hunt yeah. bears, right? Uh, Gerstalker. Yep, Gerstalker, who would be a uh, what was that book he wrote? Uh, he wrote a he wrote a uh, Gerstalker wrote a book about like hunting adventures of the West or what was that? I can't. It's I mean, yeah, it was, it it's like from what the <laughs> early 1800s or yeah. something, and it's documenting his time, uh, like pre pre European settlement basically in Arkansas, yeah. which would have been a, something to see because as wild and big as Arkansas seems right now, yeah, like essentially the entire state was clear cut, like you know what we've got now is mm. really a hundred or 150 years of of growth, but man, back then like when Lewis and Clark came through those cypress swamps, buddy, I bet it was something. Uh, but so you had this you had this state that was just 
for this land mass, this area that was just chock full of black bears. I mean, w- weren't we talking like 50,000 at some point? You know, that's what I guess that's what one of the educated guesses was at the time that we may have had as many as 50,000. And I'm sure that was just a simple calculation of Arkansas had this much land base. Mm-hmm. You know, you could carry this many bears per hundred square miles so that's what they tagged on it but you know i mean i don't i don't think there's any way anyone ever come up with any real scientific estimate about them but you know fifty thousand bears compared to six thousand that we have now is it reasonable sure we might have had more than fifty thousand mm-hmm. you know but then when they did the uh was that was it trust and holder that did that yes did that survey? Yeah. Okay, so that was oh, that was fifty one. I thought it was like in the twenties or something. So it was nineteen fifty one, and there was like a handful of bears left. Yes, less than fifty, and they were down. They're basically down like towards Louisiana, Mississippi, and the yeah, swamps in the Lower White River area in a, in a place called Scrubgrass Bayou. Okay. Now, <clears throat> you know, with that being said, if you listen to uh, some of the really old-time sources, uh, matter of fact, I mean, Clay Newcomb had one podcast about Ori Province. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to some of the really old-timers, you know, that, that were around maybe kids in the in the teens or 20s or 30s, you know, in the Ozarks or Washita's, you know, I think you'll, you would probably find a very small number of those people that would probably tell you, yeah, I remember seeing a bear when I was a kid. So, you know, even though the... Land survey that Trust and Holder did in 1951 said that, you know, they had been extirpated from the state except for the lower White River. I have a feeling there were probably a few bears that weren't, you know, extirpated. Yeah, I mean, that seems totally reasonable. Yeah, yeah. I think it's reasonable. Now, whether that was a really an appreciable number, I, I kind of doubt it. I mean, you know... uh I'm sure back in those days, you know, if it was seen, it was everything they could do to, you know, expire it. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, you know, people lived off the land and bears were seen as a threat to the land, just Mm -hmm. like a wolf or anything else. So, uh, but yeah, I I, I think, uh, I think there might've been some bears left in the mountains. But, but very, very few. I mean, we're talking about just small, small numbers. So for all intents and purposes, yeah, you, you take a state that was known as being a hub of bears, and there's almost none. For left, all right? practical purposes, they were gone. Uh, and then, uh, if you would, man, maybe just relate how we got them back. Because I kind of love the story because it's, uh, I mean, we're talking about before modern times and all the checks and balances. But it just seemed like some folks that were like, we're going to get some bears back in here. Yeah, I mean, our, our commission basically struck up a deal with uh, – minnesota dnr and manitoba canada resource agency and said hey we want to reintroduce bears can you give us some bears and of course minnesota you know and manitoba canada they were like well sure (laughs) we've got all the bears you want and uh kind of what i've the bits and pieces that i have gathered you know this was back in the late 50s and early 60s and you know the only people that would have been recording it were the people that took maybe some field notes Mm -hmm. you know there wasn't any big huge ecological assessment done or anything else like that there wasn't anything huge done administratively i mean it was 
you know, I mean, uh, people would have taken some field notes. So they got the thing done. They agreed to get bears from Minnesota, Manitoba, Canada, and Minnesota DNR would call us up and said, hey, we've got three bears trapped for you. Come get them. And we would send someone to drive 15, 18 hours straight up, get the bears, sleep overnight, and put them in the cages in the back of the truck and drive them back down to Arkansas the next day and release them. And that's just literally how it went for about 10 years. Didn't we trade we traded them like largemouth bass and turkeys? I don't know if oh, okay. that did or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that might have been the deal, but I don't know how many turkeys ended up going north. Because one of the things we found out for the first couple of years, a lot of the bears that we were getting from Minnesota was uh, nuisance bears. Oh. And they were most likely males. Okay. So, you know, they would trap a nuisance bear, which they were glad to get rid of a Mm -hmm. nuisance bear. And they would call us. We were glad to just get a bear, period. And so it was a win-win, you know. But we we released a lot of males uh, disproportionately in those first two or three years. Which, I mean, which if you're just releasing, I, I would think this is obvious, but if you're just releasing males, you're not growing the population. Nope. Right? No. But, I mean, you are, I would think that males, uh, are they're going to be more likely to disperse widely, right? Looking for females. Yes. I mean, that was a good trade-off of it. You know, males are always more likely to disperse. So, I'm sure when they hit the ground in Arkansas, there's no telling how many of them tried to go back, you know, to Minnesota. I mean, bears have an incredible homing instinct. And so, uh, but... I mean, the habitat was certainly suitable, a great habitat. And I'm sure when some females started showing up, you know, that uh, that they were more than, more than willing to call it home. And then, so that started in the late 50s, early 60s. And within, what, 30 years, we had like a real, pretty robust and huntable population? Well, within 20 years, actually, uh, because we reopened the season in 1980. But... You know, it was still uh, a season in its fledgling uh, state. And I wouldn't say that we really started coming on into the bear population probably until the 90s. So, yeah, 30 years. Okay. Uh, do, Do you see a... Have you seen a, a difference? And this might be like too small scale. There might not be enough time. But do you see a difference in uh, the land? Or uh, I'm, I'm really kind of thinking about, and, and I think this was kind of proven to be some poppycock. But have you seen any of that stuff about like when they uh, when they like reintroduced uh, wolves to Yellowstone and like how it changes? the landscape it changes the other animal populations it changes how animals interact with the population uh and i guess the theory was that it was uh it was putting stuff like more in order yeah i don't know if uh i don't know if i can speak to that in arkansas i don't know if i've really ever uh i don't know if i've ever looked at it in that approach mm. as a pro uh you mean in as reintroducing the apex predator and seeing if that basically changed the ecotype of the area for yeah some i just want i mean other. are are there effects in a broader sense or are you mostly seeing just effects with black bears it's mostly just effects with black bears uh now one thing 
one thing I've talked about before kind of recently, especially with the opening of Bear Zone 4, our Gulf Coastal Plain part of the state, uh, Bear Zone 3 and 4, is one thing I've kind of looked back and noticed with our bear population or uh, in the state is we seem to be making these 20-year milestones. I call them milestones in management. You know, the reintroduction took place uh, in the late 50s and through the 60s. So we're going to say, you know, started 1960. Okay. Okay, so 20 years later, we reopened the first modern-day bear season in Arkansas in 1980. The population is growing to the point that by 2000, or 2001 actually, we had to change management strategies. Mm -hmm. We allowed baiting on private land you know, to more or less start to curb that population growth in the state. And then 20 years later, in 2020, uh, we're looking at reopening bear season in Bear Zone 3 and 4, which is essentially the Gulf Coastal Plain part of the state. And so, you know, 20, 40, 60 years later, after the reintroduction effort, you know, we've restored a bear population, a huntable bear population into basically three-fourths of the state Mm -hmm. or a little bit more than three-fourths and so it's it's uh i don't i don't know if it's really just kind of coincidence or it's just you know it's just the way the growth has been to just earmark those 20-year milestones but it's kind of it's kind of neat well you know i wonder too if because we're just talking about in arkansas but you know these bears were reintroduced in arkansas and then that spread and expanded into Oklahoma. Oh yeah, they've got uh, they've had a bear season for a good oh, amount of time, gosh. right? It's somewhere around ten years. Okay, it may be, uh, maybe a it's somewhere around ten years. Yeah, for a long time in the southeast part of the state. Yeah, and we're not talking about we're not talking about like the far western extreme of oklahoma we're talking about you can see where the bear populations are yeah, expanding the southeastern what four or five counties of oklahoma yes yeah, so. and then missouri just i think yep. last year was their first year last year was their first season and those so. bears are in southern missouri coming up yeah. from northern arkansas absolutely i mean we've not only repopulated arkansas but we've done oklahoma and we've done missouri so yeah we're uh and and you know, not to speak out of turn, but I think Oklahoma will probably be having a very limited moderate season at some time in the reasonable future in the northeast part of the state. Okay. Yeah. So that I mean that's I mean that's fantastic news for for bears, for yep. conservation, for wildlife management. Absolutely. Uh like even if folks aren't aren't hunting, I think if they're if they're just kind of being reasonable people, they can at least key into the fact that the way that wildlife management is conducted in North America these days, right? So we're talking about basically with a hundred, a little bit more, a hundred years of kind of concerted wildlife management. When you, when you have a huntable population of any species, that means that that species is doing well enough. It has, has a sustainable, uh, breeding population that it's in its entirety is in good enough health that you can hunt that human beings can remove uh, a certain number of them every year and that population still do well mm-hmm. still continue to replenish itself that's right uh, so even if you know even if after this 
uh, podcast, you're st- you still kind of have like a weird ick factor about hunting black bears. Uh, I think if you can use, you know, you know, we got this emotional and this rational kind of part of our brain. And I guess if we're being our best selves, they're both interacting, but rarely is that happening. I, I would say it, you know, if you can separate the, uh, the, the rational part of your brain from that, seeing that, I mean, look, they were almost gone. Like this was on the precipice of no more bears, mm-hmm. right? In many, many places. Right. Uh, and in pretty kind of quick order, generally, far less than a generation, we've brought them back to the point to where uh, it's reasonable for just a regular person with effort yeah. to go out and not only encounter a black bear, but, you know, play your cards right. I might take you some years. I can attest to that. But like that's it's something that you could accomplish if that's a goal that you want to, you know, harvest or kill or hunt a black bear uh, and feed that to your family, which is what I decided I want to do. Like it's doable. Uh, and to sp- speak a little bit further to that point of it, uh, man, you're talking about a top shelf uh, meat source. Like oh, they get listen, a bad rap. They really do. And I'm telling you, that's that is based on uh, poor handling. Yes, I, absolutely. I mean, I think they taste. I would rather have uh, you know well handled black bear meat than venison. Absolutely. Uh, There's no comparison, really. Yeah, it's great. There's no comparison. And you know, uh, I've given a lot of bear hunting seminars around the state. I would do them every year. Uh, prior to COVID and then after COVID last year, I did a Mm -hmm. five of them around the state. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been, that's probably one of the hardest things for me to convince people of about harvesting a bear is the quality of the meat. And they say, well, I had some, some time and it was just, Oh, it was crazy. And it just, I had a funny taste to it. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't mean to hurt their feelings, but, you know, if if that was the case, then it was either not handled properly in the field or it was not processed properly mm-hmm. or both, in which case, yeah, you would get some foul taste in meat. But uh, and I tell people, if you take care of it in the field properly, if you process it properly, you will not find a better game meat than bear. Man, it's good. And it's just and it, the crazy thing about it is it doesn't matter whether it's young or old. It doesn't matter if it's male or female. I mean, it just doesn't. It all tastes the same. It's wonderful. I mean, look, you could get into some differences. <laughs> and I've I've heard this with uh, bears that, like, have a, a really heavily, uh, like, scavenged fish diet. Oh, no. You that know, might be a little different. <laughs> you get these bears, like these giant black bears on the coast of North Carolina, and they're eating a bunch of half-rotten yep. fish, right? Like. I think that can uh, that could obviously affect it, but I want to be specific about this. When we're talking about handling in the field, uh, one, if you're going to hunt a black bear, I think you should really even. I mean, you should do this with every uh, everything you're hunting, but especially with this. Good chance you're going to be far away from uh, a vehicle and extra people to help you and resources, right? right? So you go out there with the intention of being able to get this animal broken down and cool quickly, yes. probably on your own, right? Yes. This, you know, what I bet you what a lot of people do is they get a black bear and they throw it in the bed of their truck and they drive around and show it to people. And, uh, you know, 
if I had a butcher shop and I told you that, like, man, I get these cows and I, I hit them with the bolt gun, <laughs> throw them in the bed of my truck, and I drive them around for five hours when it's 90 degrees, you probably wouldn't want to buy those ribeyes, right? Same sort of thing with a, a black bear or a deer, right? So be prepared to get this thing cleaned quickly. And that means getting the heat off of it, getting the hide off of it. You know, like if you kill a bear September 17th in Arkansas, it's going to yeah. be warm. Yeah. Get that thing cooled off. I'm a big proponent in those situations of, I mean, really until it gets cool, do this with deer. You could do it with black bear. The thickest part of that animal is going to be its hams, right? I think you should get get to that ball and socket joint, and I like to kind of ring around it and pull that meat down just a little bit so some air can get down to that bone. Because you can, you can have a big, fat ham, and it'll start spoiling in the middle by that bone, and that'll spread out because the heat's mm -hmm. holding in there. you got an animal that's 98 degrees. Yeah. It's 90 degrees outside. Oh, yeah. So get this thing cleaned quickly. Uh, if you're gutting an animal and you puncture – the uh, bladder and the intestinal tract. Stop and take a rag and clean the knife off. Don't just keep running that through your <laughs> the meat. I think a lot of people don't think about that. Uh, but get and get in there, take your pictures, and work expeditiously. Have a way. I like having a cooler that's already got frozen milk jugs or something in it. Yeah. So once you get it there, you can start getting it cooled off. Yeah. Uh, try and keep it dry. Uh, moisture is a, a means for bacteria. To travel and that's going to put off taste on your meat uh, i mean take this serious and i'm telling you man it's just like top shelf really excellent meat nothing weird nothing funky about the flavor and if you get a big fat one you've got all that fat you can render <laughs> yeah. i mean you can yeah. use this it man it's a really great just don't process all the fat with the meat. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, cause, and it, you know, it's not that hard to do. I mean, most of that fat's going to be sitting on top. Uh, it's going to be between the, the hide and uh, the musculature of that animal. And you can cut that stuff off. Uh, there's tons of demonstrations online about how to render bear fat. But, I mean, it's all you're doing essentially is making lard. Uh, That's right. And then Make some of the best pie crust mm -hmm. and, and biscuits. I've talked to people that make biscuits. Yeah. Oh, biscuits yeah. They're and pie great. crust is really the thing. Mm -hmm. It'll make the flakiest pie crust. It's, uh, I'll tell you the other thing about it too, is because it, because it tastes so good, it's actually, uh, a really palatable way for people that have like no association with it mm -hmm. to start wrapping their mind around it. So like, and I've said this on the podcast before, like I deal with lots of people that the only, you know, friends of uh, ours, that the only association they have with like hunting and cooking wild game is me. Right. Oh yeah. So like at my kid's birthday party this year, uh, I did, instead of just having hot dogs and hamburgers, I did, uh, I made these like spicy, uh, black bear meatballs, you know, just like cocktail meatballs or whatever. But I had those. Uh, I had a friend give me some mountain lion. I made, I smoked that and like made that kind of like pulled pork. And then I had like wild turkey, like legs and thighs, carnitas, right? So like all very approachable things, you know, yeah. it's just tacos and meatballs and stuff, right? But all these people that came to the birthday party, they got to leave out of there and probably none of them had ever eaten any of that. Oh, I know. It's, uh, I, uh, <laughs> just a quick story. I have a real good friend of mine. 
he's been a friend of mine for years and years an incredible bow hunter just super avid bow hunter hunter fisherman extraordinaire and i got him uh i invited him to hunt on our lease a couple of years ago and he's like really what am, what am i gonna do with the bear you know he's he's the type of guy that shoot four or five deer a year mm-hmm. and, you know did all of his own processing, did it all himself. <laughs> so he went bear hunting the first year with me, and he shot a, you know, a pretty good-sized bear, 175-pound. I think it, that was a female, his first one. And, uh, of course, I helped him, you know, get it out and get it skinned really quick and get it quartered up and put in an ice chest, and I helped him process mm-hmm. it. And uh, <laughs> the first package of ground meat that he made – I think he made uh, I think he made some chili or something with it, mm. you know, or tacos with it. And he called me and he said, "Man, he said, why didn't you tell me bear meat was this good?" And his wife at the time, you know, she she'll eat she would eat game and all that. <laughs> he, said, he gave her some of that and said, "You know, that's not deer, that's bear." And she was like. Well, you're going to quit deer hunting and start bear hunting more. <laughs> yeah, it's and that I mean, good. Yeah, he, he said, I will eat every bit of my bear meat before I even touch my deer meat because it is so much better. Yeah, and I mean, part of it is that fat. You know, it's got a little bit of intramuscular fat. Yeah, it uh, makes it perfect. Really, yeah, it does. it's great. It's Yeah, I've got zero complaints about, about it at all. Uh, uh, I equate it to veal is what I equate it yeah. to. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, it kind of is like a, it's almost like an in-between, yeah. like kind of in-between uh, pork and more traditional red meat, you know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all about it. It's, uh, and I think because of just people's understanding, I think folks associate, for some reason, they associate bear hunting with this idea of quote unquote trophy hunting, right? This idea that people are hunting and all they're interested in is cutting heads off or something uh i mean i really don't know anybody who's bear hunting that's not feeding their families with the bear meat oh me neither i mean usually they're using all aspects of the bear you know not all bear hunters will render down the fat but um yeah like you say i don't know any of them that bear hunt regularly season you know every year are bear hunters true bear hunters i don't know any of them that you know don't already know that bear meat is a lot better than deer yeah i mean and deer meat's good i like eating deer meat it's good but no i would definitely i would take it uh i would take it over you know man i mean wild game wise i'm trying to think doesn't get a lot better. Yeah. I mean, there's... Because it's so versatile, too. Yeah. Maybe turkeys. I mean, it's it's hard to beat, like, pickle brine uh, fried yeah. turkey, you know. <laughs> but, no, man, bears is great, man. We've got... I've actually got a package of it, of ground, that I stuck in the fridge two days ago, so it would, like, kind of slowly defrost. And I'm going to... I'm just going to do smash burgers with it. Yeah. Like, those really press them down on the griddle and uh, get them crispy on either side. I mean, okay, so that's the other thing maybe we should mention is any basically any any omnivore, right? Any carnivore, any omnivore, right? You're going to have the chance of trichinosis. You, yeah. And so, and I believe this is a correct number, but I think it's 145 is what you need to get that meat to for several minutes. Uh, 
I was thinking it was 165. Uh, oh, that high? Man, I might have trichinosis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the thing of it is you just don't want to eat a medium rare bear steak. I yeah. Mean, just cook it thoroughly, you know. Uh, and this is a – trichinosis is a uh, – it, it's a parasite is what we're referring. It's a parasite that basically is kind of found in like rodent droppings. So anything that eats rodents, which a black bear would eat a rodent, right? They'd eat a sure. mouse or a little groundhog or something, or anything that would eat something that eats a rodent, right? So, I mean, it's just – it's kind of like the little fish works its way up to the big fish. It can just kind of end up – in in animals that eat other animals so uh that you don't come into that with something like an ungulate like a deer but you know wild hogs mm-hmm. uh mountain lions bears any of that stuff you just basically want to cook this stuff thoroughly well done uh fantastic for applications like chili or stews or anything Tacos, that you spaghettis. yeah <laughs> just anything you would use ground meat for yep this stuff works great it makes really good sausage uh and those cracklings, do you ever do you ever render oh, the yeah. fat and then get the cracklings? Yeah, I had some at the Black Bear Banana. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Those are great, <laughs> man. I mean, this tastes like a pork rind. Yeah. The fat is very, you know, kind of pork adjacent flavor-wise. So, it, and I think that's part of it, too, is something like bear, something like bear hunting that's unfamiliar to most people, if you can bring it into a realm that is familiar where there's not such a large yeah. barrier to entry. Like don't, don't just pull a bear liver out and try and give that to someone who's never eaten deer meat before. Right. Yeah. But if you can make empanadas or tacos or any of that kind of stuff, uh, and even being someone who's, you know, works with wild game cooking and is like trying to s- stretch myself with that. Uh, I mean, most of the stuff I'm eating at my house is kind of, regular stuff like that right like i've got (laughs) a three-year-old and a five-year-old yeah uh ground meat comes in really heavy you know i'm not doing i'm not making crown rib roast out of venison (laughs) you know like my kids are eating deer steaks and they're eating ground deer meat yeah and uh soups and stews yeah soups and and stews and all that stuff and that's a great way to feed a lot of people gumbos uh but yeah man especially with a bear it just feels like I mean, it's so cool because you can use all of it. Yeah. I mean, you can literally use all of it. Uh, I don't know anybody who's really not even, like, keeping the highs off their bears, you know, because that's a cool thing to have, like, just throw it across your couch or whatever. Right. It's a conversation starter. And I think that's what people don't get about uh, antlers or hides or, like, you know, keeping these mementos mm-hmm. of – of hunting experiences is, I mean, really that becomes like a link to that experience. It's a way to tell a story, to share the experience, you know, like a totem or something to people. Uh, It's, it's not just a photograph. It's something you can touch and feel and yeah. Brings back all the senses. And it's not about, and it's not just about like, I think people associate it with dominion over this creature. Like if you wanted to, if you wanted to make me your best friend, you would, eat wild game with me and you would listen to my stories about how I got there, you know, and I, that would ingratiate you to me and I would want to be around you because I want to tell those stories because it's something that's important to me and meaningful to me. Uh, I mean, my kids get it without a choice, you know, like they captive. Oh, and they don't, you know, that's something I've really tried to impart to them is, you know, I don't want to 
I don't want to like bully my kids. Like if you don't clean your plate, you know, you can't ever watch a movie again. But, uh, you know, they can leave potatoes on the plate. But like, <laughs> if it's something I went out and worked to hunt and get, like, we're eating that. Yeah. If that means you're only going to get half as much as you think you want, so you eat that before you get more. Uh, at the very least, I'm eating it. Yeah. You know, it's not going into the compost pile. Uh, and yeah, that's a. I mean, that's a testament to. It's weird, man. It's a testament to caring about these animals so much. Uh, even if you do take one out a year to yeah. feed you and your family. Uh, I mean, well, yeah, you got you to gotta love them to put that much effort into it. I think just because, you know, by and large, they are, you know, more effort than deer. I think that just puts them, you know, the, the whole experience, the, the processing, the taking care of, the scouting, you know, the baiting, whatever, whatever you put into it, it's just, uh, it's just different. It's just different than deer. It's a different critter, and you know it just has a complete different reverence about it. Yeah, uh, man, this is really getting me geared up for for bear season here. Just like what we got four weeks, yeah, yeah. three and a half, four weeks, something like that. Yeah, not even four complete. Yeah, four weeks. Yeah, man, I got to get my stuff together. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I mean, we're kind of starting to wind down. This is this conversation like really getting deep into bear hunting and how to do that. Uh, I would point you towards a bear hunting magazine podcast, even though that podcast is kind of defunct now, it's still all up there and there's some really excellent episodes about it. Uh, telling you what you need to look for. I mean, listening to that is kind of how I figured out most of it. You know, I've learned a lot from clay over the years. I mean, uh, I've known clay for, Oh gosh, I don't know a long time, 12 or 15 years, I guess. And uh, learn a lot from his podcast, you know. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's very thorough, and he put a lot of time and effort into becoming very proficient. Uh, I've had a lot of people ask me this year, you know, if I was going to do the bear hunting seminars again. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm probably not going to do them this year. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel, you know, back when we had uh, COVID and attendance restrictions and all that. I basically made a YouTube video. Of bear hunting 101 you can see that just search arkansas game and fish bear hunting okay and it'll come up and it's it's a long it's a long video i mean it's two hours long but it you know it took the place of the seminars i would have every year so information is still pertinent still accurate so yeah i mean it's a. if you are interested in bear hunting in arkansas i think it's a worthwhile endeavor i think that it's there's no way to lose. If you never saw a bear, but you pursued one, you'd end up your oh, yeah. your woodsmanship skills are going to be greatly improved, and you're gonna find other stuff like you're gonna find deer. Oh yeah. I mean, you're gonna. F it's what's gonna happen is you're gonna realize how easy it is to find deer sign compared to bear sign. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, well, you know, I think uh, I think the harder part that a lot of people have with bear hunting is the fact that, you know, they want to approach it maybe in the same respect as deer hunting. And, uh, you know, it's completely different because bear are, are not in a rut that time of year. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of people are used to hunting, you know, deer and especially hunting deer either pre or during the rut or pre-rut. 
and that's kind of the way their mindset's geared to hunt an animal. But bears, it's it's nothing like that. It has nothing to do with the rut. They don't care about the rut that time of year. It is solely food based, and so you you kind of need to become an expert of a what food they're going to be eating that time of year, b and where that food is available, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> so. It's all about the food. I mean, that's all they care about that time of year. So if you want to be a great bear hunter, you need to be a, you know, a amateur botanist. Yeah, and understand the cycles <laughs> that produce those. So like, you know, you hear people talk about like a mass crop, right? What's a mass crop going to look like this year? In Arkansas, with bears, you're mostly talking about acorns, right? That's right. Uh, and so like having a late freeze you know, if you have like a big freeze come through in the end of March, yeah. that could affect your mass crop because if the oak trees are budding out and then they all get frozen, that'll mess them up. Uh, water. I feel like water is going to be a big factor this year. Uh, water will be a big factor. I mean, as dry as it has been, I know mm-hmm. the the heat and the dryness uh, from the areas that I'm familiar with in the Ozarks, uh, it pretty well burned up the mass crop. Uh, I don't think there's going to be many acorns available up in the Ozarks. Uh, so, and it's still relatively dry. And so, yeah, I think water will play a big, a uh, big role. You know, come September, if it's still kind of hot, you know, water sources will be a great source. Yeah. To hunt over. I mean, like they've got to come get water. Yep. I mean, now that they are good at just finding a little seep or yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be some big pond for them. No, it can be a mud puddle. Yeah, drink out of it. But they do. They're not like a deer. They're not going to gain all the water they need from vegetation and forage. They need to drink water about every day. Yeah, and so you're talking about like very traditional, uh, you know, just like wood person skills, right? What is this plant? When does it produce? a nut or a fruit that an animal right. wants to be interacting with. Why is there water here and not up here? You know, if you're hunting these mountains, everything's got to drain to the bottom. You know, <laughs> if, <laughs> if there's no water up top, you're going to have to keep going down to find it. That's right. right? Uh, and, you know, I was talking to a buddy about this, I don't know, a month or two ago on another podcast. But uh, I said, if there's a place on the mountain that, you know, that holds water and has held water, the plants around that are going to be the ones that produced. Sure. You know, uh, which, I mean, a lot of that is just effort and going and seeing, well, what did it look like this year? What did it look like that year? Right. But it's doing that allows you to start refining it, uh, your search patterns, right? Mm-hmm. So you're you're getting kind of more bang for your buck as, you, as you're going out and you're looking for stuff. Uh, you know, not to look for white oaks on north-facing slopes. <laughs> you know, if that's what this is dropping acorns that time of year, you know. Uh, and, yeah, and then realizing that this is something that I think is so interesting about bears in particular. Uh, and so when you're talking about baiting bears, I mean, you can bait them with, like, anything that would make a person fat and happy a bear wants to deal with. So, like, donuts or bread or. It's not hard. Yeah. But then those white oaks start dropping, and yeah. you could have a a donut buffet out there for yep. them. But they are conditioned like they they want to eat those acorns. That's what they evolved, yeah. you know, since the time of existence. That's what they evolved eating. Mm-hmm. And so I tell people all the time, it, 
you know, and they, <laughs> believe me, I've tried, probably every avid bear hunter out there has tried to bait them off of oaks, you know, or acorns. And you just, you can't do it. You may get young bears, you may get female bears, but the bears that dominate food sources, the older males, the older females, no, they're going to go dominate a natural food source. And I tell people, you can't compete with Mother Nature. Yeah, so, so finding oak flats, finding stuff that's going to have a concentration of that food source. Uh, and, I mean, look, you can Google Scout some of this stuff. I mean, you start Google Scout and you can, you know, you can tell what's a what's a pine tree and, like, what's a uh, like what's a coniferous tree and what's a deciduous tree. And, I mean, that does help, but there's no replacing boots on the ground, like no. walking and walking and walking. Scouting, scouting and more scouting. And that's like, to me, that's fun. That's probably the thing about chasing bears that is of most interest to me yeah. is that it, it means that I just have to go spend time in the woods yeah. and you'll always find something new. If you just go walk in the woods for a while. Yeah. There, there's something right. you'll see something you haven't seen before, or you'll put something, you'll see something you have seen before and you'll put it together. Uh, yeah, man, there's, Ooh, I could talk about these. I could talk about these critters forever because they're so, they are they're just something magical about them. Uh, there's something captivating about them. I mean, they've captivated you for 27 years professionally. That's right. Uh, he's not retiring anytime soon, so no. it's gonna con- <laughs> it's gonna continue. No, I think I pretty well knew the first time I went up to a snare in 198. It was the summer of 1988 when I got on the Bear Project, and I volunteered that whole summer just so I could work on that project. And, uh, yeah, I remember the very first bear that I went up to in a snare. And I knew from then, I knew exactly what I wanted to do with the rest of my career. See, that's awesome. (laughs) I love, too, that, I mean, we've been talking about this for over an hour. And I don't know that we have sufficiently quantified, like, what is it about them that's so compelling? I like that. Because it is, there's something beyond... Uh, what's easy easy to discern and to to explain right mm-hmm. it, it kind of there's like something i want to say like je ne sais quoi but it's <laughs> i mean really it, it it i feel like it kind of ties us it ties us to people with loincloths and atlatls and yeah. all of that right it's yeah. there's they were compelled to do this and to think about bears and to draw them and to obsess about them the same way that people are doing now. Yeah. And it's, I see the way that people that I know that don't hunt, like they don't fish, they don't really have any relationship to the wild world. When you tell them, I mean, and they'll hear like, well, what do you do? Oh, I, it's kind of weird when I tell people what I do. I don't know exactly what I do. I hunt a lot <laughs> and talk about it. Uh, but then when you start telling them about bear hunting, or like bear hunting with a bow or something like something changes, like their understanding of what you're engaging in changes. Uh, And I don't think it's just, you know, a perception of the possibility of danger. I think there's just something innately special about black bears and our relationship with them. Uh, Yeah. They're just, they're just neat, neat, cool, magical things. Uh, I'm jealous of you, man. I don't run across that many people that I think have, (laughs) super duper cool jobs but this seems like a cool job it's uh it's been uh 
It is pretty incredible. I mean, it is. I mean, there's there's so many days that go by that I just I consider what a blessing it is to actually get paid to do what I do. So yeah, I mean, pretty, ju- pretty just amazing. the den research alone. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, that's cool. But so you know, cool. I mean, just you know, whether it's nuisance work or you know whether it's research work catching bears in South Arkansas in the middle of summer when it's so hot you can't even breathe. It's uh. Man, it's just it's just cool. It really is. What are you looking for this season? This might be a good way to wrap this up. So, like this season, I know we've got uh, you've got a couple different changes in bear season, which are probably yeah. worth going over real quick. And then, like, what are you looking for? Uh, you know, personally and professionally, out of this next season. Uh, personally, I'm looking to harvest a pretty good bear this year because, uh, we didn't hunt on our lease last year just cause I knew the mass crop was going to be too hard to contend with. And so, uh, so lots of acorns last year. Yeah. Lots of acorns last year. And I knew they were going to be probably dropping early enough that I didn't want to have to battle the bait issue this year. Season's a week earlier, uh, and should take the acorn factor out of the equation at least for that first few days anyway so personally i'm looking to harvest a really nice bear this year and you're optimistic about it oh yeah yeah on our lease it's uh yeah it's a pretty it's a pretty special place so uh professionally what am i looking for out of it uh it would not surprise me at all to have another record harvest year you know, uh, year before last, it would have been, what is it, 21, or 21, 20, 20. That was our record harvest year, 663 bears. Uh, I think we'll surpass that this year, especially with the Gulf Coastal Plain. You know, even though the quota is 25 for bear zone four and five for bear zone three, that's 30. Uh, I have no doubt we'll have a little bit of bleed over from that, you know, on that quota. So... I anticipate harvesting 30 to 40 bears in South Arkansas. Uh, the quotas up in the in the Ozarks. It'll be 400 for archery and all that. And I fully expect to meet that this year, probably in the first week to 10 days of the archery season. They never made their quota last year, did they? No. No, too many acorns. Yeah. You know, can't compete with Mother Nature. So, you know, when it's a great mass crop, the quota isn't really, I mean, it, doesn't really come into play uh when it's a poor mass crop like it's going to be this year and the season's bumped up a week earlier yeah the the quota will definitely come into play this year so now whether or not they'll harvest 50 during the muzzleload season and 50 during the modern gun uh i don't know modern gun may be kind of waning a little bit a lot of bears may start into a den cycle in the early part of november Okay. Because of the lack of natural food out on the landscape. And so, <clears throat> but irregardless of that, you know, I would anticipate harvesting, I don't know, close to from four to 500 in the Ozarks and then, you know, probably 200 plus, 250 plus in the Washtals. If so, we're, and we're, we're referencing, so like most of the bears that get harvested in Arkansas are going to be harvested with the use of bait. Would would you say, or am I just talking uh, out of my yeah? Uh, typically in Arkansas, seventy five percent of our bears in a given season mm-hmm. are going to be harvested with archery equipment. 
most of archery hunters are using bait. Okay. Uh, now, you know, it's what we what we get on our harvest reports or harvest records is usually around sixty percent of bears are taken over bait. Mm-hmm. I think that's I, th- I, th- I think that's low. I mean, uh, for whatever reason, you know, if people don't want to report that it's over bait or whatever, but I do think that's low. Okay. I think that probably, probably in line with most of the archery harvest, I think baiting accounts for probably 70, 75% of the bears harvested. So if, in a given sp- year. so if in particular this year, you're expecting, uh, a good harvest with the use of bait because of a low mass crop. Yeah. What, uh. I mean, I, I would assume that means that it's going to be more difficult to get on them. Uh, Naturally. Yeah, just spot and yeah. stalk or find them. Well, you know, food I mean, sources. it may turn out to be one of those years where, you know, it really works into the benefit of the public land hunter as well. Because if you can find that one flat of white oaks that has some acorns mm-hmm. on it, or you can find that one black gum tree that has a lot of berries on it, mm-hmm. you know, come first day of archery season that's that's as good as a artificial bait site that's a natural bait site yeah and they'll come to that as readily as they will an artificial bait site and so i mean it, it could really come in it could really benefit because whenever you have very specific or small patches of natural food that works just like a bait site you know it's not everywhere so all the bears are going to come congregate there, and you know you may find one really really big black gum tree that's just throwing berries like crazy, and they will wear that tree out. You know, I mean that's a, that's better than an artificial bait site, <laughs> you know, yeah, because uh, that's a natural food. So uh, you know it, it could, but it just means it may mean that those those very small. Uh, nuggets are going to be a little bit harder to find. But when you do find them, I'd say your success is going to be a lot higher. Yeah, so, I mean, right now would be the time to start walking around. Absolutely. Uh, Finding those black gums. I think that would be a real key this year because it is a week earlier. mm -hmm. And, you know, I think think it will take, if there are oaks out there, I think it will kind of take them out of the equation. If you're planning on hunting that opening weekend. Yeah. And so, you know, then you're going to fall back to uh, black gums or elderberry pokeberry patches, you know, that may not be gone yet. Oh, do they wear out poke? Oh, yeah. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, man. I just, I just learned something. I didn't. I didn't know that. I knew about the black gums. And the real advantage of pokeberries is a lot of times they grow in the ditches on roadsides. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to see. Yeah. You know. But elderberry, pokeberry, um, black gum especially. I mean, that's that's a real key, especially in the Ozarks or even in the Washtos, you know. And uh, I don't know if a lot of people realize it, but if you'll look across the landscape, you know, come early part of September, mid-September, and you're looking across the landscape, black gums are always the first to start turning. So you can... Oh, you're talking about the leaves. Yeah. Yeah, they start getting kind of like reddish. Red, yep. And yeah. they'll be the first trees to start turning. So they're easy to identify from afar, you know, and uh, you can pick them out and say, oh, okay, I see I see two or three black gums over there on that bench. I'm yeah. Go check them out, you know. Yeah, and they, they kind of, uh, 
I think people think gum tree and they think of like a sweet gum. Yeah. Which is, I mean, uh, that's like. I actually, I've cut a lot of sweet gums down doing like land reclamation. <laughs> yeah. They're just about as. They don't have much value. Man, I'm telling you, dude. <laughs> Hard. You can't chop it up into firewood. It all twists. But anyway, but black gums, I mean, to my mind, they look a lot more like a dogwood or something. They do. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a great tip. Just being able to look out and see that change in the color. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like, man, get on a map. This will save you a lot too, especially chasing these bears. Cause you're usually in hillier, more mountainy stuff, right? Uh, get on Onyx, learn to read, a, a topographic map. Cause I've really messed myself up a lot. Just like going through the bush <laughs> thing. I want to get someplace. And then there's a 600 foot drop off there. Yeah. There's you know, you might be as a crow flies, you might be a hundred yards away from them, but if there's a yeah. big gully in between, you can't get to it. Uh, and here's the other benefit to that, to learning the topography is those critters are going to use it the same way that you would. Right? Like the only thing that the only thing you ever see go straight up and down a hill as a human being. Yeah. Like those critters are going to use shelves. They're going to use, you know, you hear people talk about benches and saddles a whole lot. Uh, Using those is going to, that'll help you kind of key in on sign. Uh, I mean, a saddle still seems about like the most useful thing in hunting, right? Like everything's going to use that. Uh, Yeah, there's going to be a few places in a bear's, I guess, daily movement where it's going to have water right by a food source, Mm -hmm. you know? So they're going to have to, uh, they're going to have to go get water, then they're going to have to go back and get food. But, you know, because food is so important that time of year, I mean, bears are in a euphagic state where they're foraging probably 16, 18 hours a day. Building up their fat reserves. Building up their fat reserves. So, I mean, it's it's all about the groceries. Yeah. So. Yeah, so, I mean, it's you're going to have to hunt them. I mean, if you're going to go get them on public land, man, you're going to have to. I mean, I'm not saying the other way isn't hunting, but, I mean, like, you're going to literally have to hunt around to try and find places where bears have scratched stuff up or dug stuff up or pooped. And that's the best thing to find. Yeah. I mean, especially with bears. I mean, if they spend any amount of time in the area foraging, I mean, they'll leave scat. Bears have a very short gut, uh, for a basically a omnivore or plant eating. And so therefore they have to consume large amounts of plant material to receive the same amount of nutrients that a true carnivore would so but their guts haven't evolved with their food be food behavior and so they have a very short gut and so they process food very quickly and so if a bear is spending any amount of time in a foraging area they're going to leave scat and they're going to leave a lot of it you know what? That seems that's literally the end of bears we're talking about. But that, that's like the best <laughs> the place to end, end the, in the conversation. <laughs> but Myron, man, seriously, thanks so much for the convo. Uh, thanks for having me. I've actually we've talked about some stuff. I'm going to turn the recording off and ask a couple specific questions because uh, it's got me keyed in on something. But uh, yeah, so if you guys are interested in learning more about this stuff, uh, just like Myron said, you could check out that couple hours of instruction on YouTube. Yep. Uh, Arkansas Game and Fish Commission's got a pretty good website, man. Check that out. Let's give you all the uh, info you need as far as where you could hunt. Uh, where uh, there's actually there's and I saw too, man. They've got published kind of like harvest data. Yeah. And that's a good way to key in on like what counties where where are the yeah where are there lots of bears or where's there a better chance yeah. of seeing a bear, right? Yeah, and we have. Every year's harvest records all the way back to, I don't know, 
2010 or something like that. You know, every year we'll post our bear harvest report. It's on the website. And, uh, I mean, but if you're going to be bear hunting in Arkansas on public land, uh, you're basically going to be looking at lands uh, within the either the Ozark or the Washita mm-hmm. National Forest. If you're going to be hunting the Ozarks, you have to understand that there is a quota system. That's Bear Zone 1. Bear Zone 1 does have a quota. So, you know, you might be fighting the clock a little bit, depending on which method you want to use. Uh, Bear Zone 2, the Washita's, doesn't have a quota. So, you know, if you've got plenty of time to hunt, plenty of time to scout and do all that, you know, you might elect to hunt zone two rather than zone one. That way you don't get hit by a quota or something like that if the quota's met. I anticipate the quota being met fairly quickly this year. Other than uh, bears on one? Bears on one. Yeah. It may make it to the second weekend. I doubt that it'll make it through the second weekend. Yeah, it's like lots but of bears and lots of. That's just my prediction. <laughs> I mean, you got you got good. Don't uh, everybody run out and uh, you know I got to bear hunt the opening weekend. But you know, I mean, if you bear hunted in zone one, you know how you know before it's the quota's been met in three days. That's when it was less bear less bear quota. But you know, it's just I mean that's just one of the things you have to you have to keep in mind if you're hunting bear zone one. You know, that's where I hunt. I have to deal with the same quota that that uh, I recommend. So, <laughs> I mean, there's just, yeah, there's more people. Yep. There's more people up there hunting. There's more. More private land. Yeah, there's more private inholdings kind of within the mm-hmm. Ozarks. That's right. That's what necessitates the need for a quota. Sure. A lot more bears are accessible to being harvested in bears on one than bears on two. Yeah. The Wachita's, there's not as many, there's not, there's not really very much privately held land inside that. It's a big chunk of public ground that you can like get on and walk and walk and walk. Yeah, a long time. And camp. I mean, and uh, that's what I've done before is just, you know, go out there and set up a little base camp. Yeah. And then have my areas and I go to different places. Right. Uh, And man, it's a great way. And you find all sorts of stuff too. Like, you'll find stuff that you might not use for three more years, man, but you'll, like... Yeah. You'll remember where that yeah, spot was. Yeah, you'll find where all these persimmons were at, just, like, a yeah. mound of persimmons. Uh, you'll you'll find, like, a, I mean, I found, like, a you know, wild cherry bushes yeah. and stuff. It's funny that you should say that because I know for a fact bears do the exact same thing. I mean, this, this, is, where bear, this is where bear live. They remember where that food source was mm-hmm. last September. You know, and they'll go to that. They do remember. I mean, you're talking about animal that lives 25 years in a home range. If you live 25 years on a 40-acre track, you'd know everything about that 40-acre track. Yeah. So, you know, bears do the same thing. They remember from year to year where those food sources are. Yep, got to go out there and find them, folks. Uh, You can see if I don't get off, I'll just keep talking about it. But, uh, (laughs) hey, folks, uh, thanks very much for listening. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Black Duck Revival podcast. As always, it's produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and Brian Sachs. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please help us spread the word, help more people find it. You can do that by posting on Instagram, leaving a review, uh, five stars. You can 
Write a Little Ditty if you'd like there on Apple or Spotify, whatever you listen to the podcast on. All that stuff helps tremendously. You can find me at blackduckrevival.com. We are, uh, we've updated some hunts on there. There's a few spots left on the uh, speckle belly goose hunt that is occurring at the end of December. I think it's December 30th, 31st, and January 1st. That should be a really fun time and a great hunt. Uh, the other hunt is uh, sold out, so just a few spots left if you want to come and hunt at Black Duck Revival this year. You can keep up with me on Instagram as well. That's just Black Duck Revival. And uh, start looking for weekly recipes and cooking videos. We've got that uh, fired up. I kind of took some of that COVID time off, and we've been working on some new projects that we're excited to share with you. So thanks for listening. We'll see you all next time. Until then.